Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. Here on Habits for Happiness today to talk about the habit of empathy is author Anne Barube. Welcome, Anne. I'm so Hi, happy lady. to have you here. And I'd love <laughs> to introduce you because you have a beautiful, beautiful bio. And Anne is the best-selling author of The Burnout Antidote, A Spiritual Guide to Empowerment for Impasse. I am one, Overgivers, <laughs> which I also am one, and Highly Sensitive People, which I also am one. So I'm very excited about this. Anne is a powerful teacher with an uncommon ability to share her story and insights in a way that awakens the inner wisdom of others. Her a- accident in tw- uh, when she was 23 that she'll share with us about ignited a passion for sharing her experience and knowledge. And she has made it her life's purpose to help individuals remember that happiness is within them. She's a fellow compatriot here in 2007, driven to share experience with others and founded auto poetic ideas, a social enterprise that supports healing and transformation by gathering people to sharing, inspiring content through life experiences. Projects range in scope from intimate workshops and coaching. She'll tell us about it and conferences and her own um, workshops called the happiness sessions. Um, And she has refined the process of be, feel, think, do, and helped hundreds of individuals discover inner freedom and connection to their unique source and sustainable happiness. So amazing. Welcome. So excited (laughs) to have you here. And so- Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, it's, you have a beautiful story and I, and I purposely left out sort of the, the big parts of your story, because I wanted you to tell us, but what, what led you here? What led you from, you know, the early, early life to the burnt out antidote, which is a beautiful Mm. book. So like, what's give us the in-between what's the journey? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, uh, in, in um, 2001, when I was 23, I was coming back from golfing with friends. And my boyfriend at the time took a left turn into oncoming traffic. And, you know, he misevaluated the time that he had and a half ton truck hit our car and it hit right on my side. I was a passenger and on the impact, my liver lacerated in half, my lungs partially collapsed and I was unconscious. And so I came back to, and I still couldn't breathe because my lungs weren't working. And, and so I passed out again. And then that's when it happened in the car. I saw my life um, like a movie in front of my mind's eyes, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the life I was living. It was the life I came to live. And I knew that lady because it felt so real. It felt more real than anything I'd ever experienced before. I could see everyone that I loved. I could see the people who loved me. I could see that I was writing, that I was teaching. Um, I even saw my husband who I'm married to now and I have two kids with. It was clear as day, but what really stayed was the feeling of love. This experience of deep, deep, deep love that I never experienced before. So, you know, some of your listeners might relate to, you know, growing up and having love be taught as more conditional. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who you show, who you show up as, what you do for other people, um, 
you know, is kind of the definition of love. Like, so when you show up and people need you and you show up in the way that they need you to show up, then you're loved, you, there's attention. And so I grew up with a skewed understanding of what love would be, of what love was. And so that night in the car accident, it was a feeling that I never experienced before. So at the time, I don't think I could have called it love um, because I didn't know what it was. So when I woke up the next day in the hospital, I, I promised myself I would find a way to change my ways because I had been living completely outside of myself, right? Externally referenced, just living this a life that I thought people wanted from me, my parents, my colleagues, you know, my friends, like my boyfriend, like I didn't know what it meant to, to be you. Um, I'd always kind of, you know, been brought to, to be there for other people. Wow. And so I, I knew I needed to find a way to love myself more. And, and so the next few years after the accident, I started to take these little steps. I still didn't know exactly how I could merge these two lives. Like I really wanted to live this life that I, that I'd seen, that I'd experienced, but I didn't know exactly how, but I just knew that it had to start with understanding love a little bit better and, and loving myself first and foremost. And I think, I know for a lot of people that's also can be mysterious. Like, okay, I get it. I hear that. I see it everywhere. Love yourself. But what does it really mean Yeah, to love yourself? And so about five years um, after the car accident, I was, so I was married to this man who I seen in my vision. So I had been able to accept that kind of love. Like I'd been able to see it and recognize it and not sabotage it, yeah. um, you know, which I did a lot of. Um, yeah. I can relate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Like you love me that much. I don't think that's real. I don't understand, you know, that's not possible. And love with freedom too. Right. I never been love and be free at the same time. That's never had never happened. So I was with this man and, and we, I had my first son and I've been living with sinus pain. So, you know, chronic pain for two years. Um, and I was in the middle of writing my PhD thesis. So writing was really important to me. I love writing. Every time I'd sit at the computer to write, it would get worse. Um, and if anybody has lived with chronic pain, they know that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you think about yeah. Go at bed at night. It's the last thing you think about. Just pain is kind of this identity. And I tried everything. I went to see allergists, you know, um, got scans done. I changed my diet, um, acupuncture, chiropractor, like everything, even Reiki. And I remember my Reiki practitioner said, oh, you know, and sometimes there's just things you have to live with. And I thought there's no way like... I like, I am a thinker, like I am a writer. This is what I love to do. There's mm -hmm. no way that I'm meant to live with this pain. So my mother-in-law, uh, one day, my mother-in-law invited me to this workshop. It was called women in leadership. And I thought to myself, like I, you know, this, this title is perfect. Like I'm, I'll graduate one day. I'll probably become a professor. I'll be head of a department and I'm already pretty bossy. So <laughs> So this is perfect. Women in leadership. Yes. And so if I would known what was going to happen in that course, lady, I never would have gone. It was almost like the universe and my mother-in-law <laughs> tricked me into going into this, into this workshop. So 
I walk into the room and there's about 12 women sitting in a circle. And the teacher's sitting right in front of me. And she's starting to talk about a leadership that's completely different than anything I've ever heard. It comes from deep inside. It's connected to your emotions. It's connected to your intuition. And breathing deeply has a huge part in this Mm -hmm. way of leading. And it's connected to the belly, like bringing your attention deep inside your belly. And she's encouraging people to breathe deeply and really connect. And the more she's talking, like the more the pain in my head is intense because I don't understand what she's talking about. I'm I'm thinking this is a leadership course. What is happening here? And all Mm -hmm. the women in the circle start to like cry, you know, spontaneously cry, like, I don't understand what's going on. And the more they're crying, the more she's talking, the more the pressure rises in my head. And I just want her to like take a break from her talking Mm -hmm. so I can excuse myself, go to the washroom and just not come back. And she never took a break. (laughs) She looked at me and she said, Anne, are you, are you okay? And lately, like I could feel my heart like pounding, like my heart saying, like, you're not okay. Tell her you're not okay. (laughs) And then my head was like, don't say anything. (laughs) If you say something, girl, you're out, you know, you lose control. Like we can't help you. Don't say anything. And so I said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Move on. Go to someone else, please. And she says, and I invite you to take a deep, deep breath. And again, my heart was like, please take that breath. And my head's like, don't do not like my whole body's mayday, mayday. Like you're in public, you're in front of the strangers, you're in front of your mother-in-law. Um, what is happening? And so I did, I took this deep counter instinctual, but deeply intuitive breath in through the nose And the next thing I know, I'm the one in this mess of snot and tears (laughs) and my whole body's shaking. It's like a whole tsunami is just moving through my body. It feels like a spectacle, but I completely lost control. My body took over. Women in the circle don't even seem to be bothered by it. They just keep breathing, doing their own thing. The teacher even comes and puts her hand on my back and she says, this is what it feels like to have held 28 years of emotional baggage in your body. Wow. And what felt like five, 10 minutes was probably 30 seconds. Mm. And after my body settled and it was so calm, there was no thoughts in my head. It was so still. And the feeling was really close to the feeling I had in the car accident. It's like, huh. And the pain in my sinuses was completely gone. And that's almost, that's like 15 years ago now. Right. More than that. And it hasn't come back. Completely gone. Wow. And it had been wow. there for two years. And so what happened in that course is I found the how, right? So the night in the car accident was the what. The what. Yeah. And then that, that day in the, in the course was the how that I'd come home. I'd come home to my heart. I come home to my body. I didn't know that there was another way to live than up here. 
Yeah. So much pressure up here. You got so into neck, what I call neck down living. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> exactly. Neck down living. Yeah. We're a yes. whole body. We're not just our heads. Exactly. And yeah. I was using my body as a stick to carry my head from conferences to conferences. I was in academia, right? right. So I didn't yeah. know there was this huge, amazing temple, um, a beautiful uh, processor of energy and information. And that it was designed to do that. And every time I was in my head, I was getting in the way of this uh, incredible ability that it had to move. Yeah. And it's everything that's trapped in the body from my childhood to traumas. And also it was this incredible vehicle for my soul. So when there was space created from the processing of the old, there was this incredible settling in of the more that I'm becoming. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for people listening, they may be thinking, okay, well, that sounds amazing, but I have anxiety and I'm in my head and I'm a head walking around on a body from meeting to meeting and zoom to zoom and all these things. So how does one go about, you know, having an experience where they can live from the neck down? Well, so it was really, there was a few elements and, you know, that happened that day. First, there was safety. So, so the person needs to feel safe to enter their body, right? Mm. If they feel safe, um, they'll panic and they'll go right back up in their intellect. So either it's a person that, that is helping you and supporting you, or it's a group where you feel safe. Being seen, being witnessed accelerates that process. Okay. So that day being with other women who were strangers I didn't have that habit of of being vulnerable in front of strangers because I believe that who I was showing them who I was, was really important, right? Mm. That vulnerability didn't belong. And so being witnessed, whether it's by one person or a group is even more powerful, will really accelerate that process. So safety, being Mm. witnessed, um, you know, a touch of sacred. And what I mean by that is that the person has to have a belief that they're more than what they think. A person Mm. has to believe that they're more than their minds and their bodies, that it's actually who they really are is um, beyond what they've known already about themselves. So Mm -hmm. if someone has an open mind also, that will be, that will help this process. An open mind. Yes. 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 <laughs> and, and the other two tools that's what I've been teaching for 15 years workshops where I help people birth their soul in this way. Um, the two most important tools are the breath mm-hmm. and not your normal breath, but an exaggerated breath in through the nose and a longer exhalation constricting the throat <sighs> through the mouth, dropping the jaw. And that's the ha breath from the huna, from the ancient uh-huh. lions. And it preps the body, tells the body you're safe, tells the body something new can happen. And the second tool is attention. Like you said, below the neck, somewhere else, then your thoughts. Bring your attention to direct sensation in your body. You have stories about what happened. You have stories about the emotions that you're feeling. But those are just maps. They're not the actual territory. 
what happened and what lives in, 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 in your, in the stories that live in you are actually wired in your nervous system. First, they're wired in your organs, in your fascia and your muscles when that first trauma happens. So bringing your attention to the sensation of the story, to the sensation of the emotion, to the root of what's actually going on and deepening the breath in that space actually allows the movement of the blocked energy to happen and allows the body to process. So what I hear you saying is, let's say I'm, someone says something to me and um, I'm going to react negatively in my normal sort of neck up state. And Mm -hmm. I'm feeling uh, when they say this to me, um, I'm feeling really tense in my stomach, for example. Um, I would, something I could do, and this could be for listeners, and this is why I'm making it more tactical, is uh, perhaps breathe deeply all the way into my belly, in through the nose and out through the mouth. And also bring attention to the tension in my stomach. Also, Kind of what I hear you saying is like disempowering the feeling so that when I do eventually respond, it can be from a much calmer whole body place. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you've never, ever experienced your inner world, then that will be very difficult to do in front of that person because your, your whole body is going to say mayday, mayday, like. Yes. The firefighters are going to come out. Exactly. (laughs) And so. So don't be hard on yourself if that happens and you're trying to breathe and you can't because your whole body's wired to protect yourself from this potential threat that is not really a threat anymore, but your whole body remembers that when you were a kid, when someone said that it was actually a threat. Yes. You know, emotionally you weren't safe and emotionally you didn't feel like you belonged. And those two things really matter to children. They're a matter of life or death. So that's why the body reacts so strongly. But we are adults now and we are, most of us, in safe environments. Most of us. Yes, yes. No saber-toothed tiger is coming after us. Correct. Exactly. And we've hopefully chosen to be in relationships that are mostly safe physically and emotionally. Right, right, right. And so when someone says something, you know, it's not, you're not at risk of losing yourself, but your body thinks you are. Mm-hmm. And so if that happens and you've never done the work, this kind of work, then allow yourself to remove yourself from the situation, go lay on your bed, put some nice music and do that exercise there where okay. you feel safe and, or ask a friend, I need you to help me with this. Someone okay. you trust. I okay. feel this tension in my belly and I really want to breathe deeply into it because I'm tired. I want it to move. Don't, I don't want to react from that place anymore. Yeah. But shutting it off, right? Conversely, shutting off the feeling in your body and trying to think through it or move through it and disassociate, that does not work. Well, it works in the moment. It feels good in the moment because it's such a habit and it's kept you safe for maybe decades, right? Yeah. But then it doesn't bring something new into your life. It doesn't change that dynamic with that person. You haven't changed. They haven't changed. Next time you'll meet the same thing will happen and it will happen again in other, even if you leave country, go somewhere else, you need (laughs) another man, you need another woman, you'll meet the same person because you're the same. So every time you move energy in your body, you change at an energetic level. So now you start to attract something very different, different people, different opportunities, different invitations, 
I love, yeah. yeah. And so I love this. And I do believe that everyone we encounter is a teacher for us, a beautiful teacher for us. And we'll keep meeting the same teacher over and over until we've learned the lesson and we start meeting a new kind of teacher, right? It never ends. Yes. It never ends. And and gratitude for everyone who shows up and challenges us as, as, you know, a teaching moment. But I want to just ask, so you said, uh, if I heard you correctly, that you did wish that you had not gone into that room. Tell us why. It's not that I didn't wish, it's that if someone had said this, this course is called Women in Leadership, but it's actually going to be about sharing your emotions and um, you're going to have to be vulnerable in front of strangers and especially in front of your new mother-in-law. I would have been like, why would I do that right now? Like, why would I do that? I, I don't even know who this person is. So it was almost like that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that title. That was so ego pleasing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I'm so glad that you had that experience that I had that experience because I continued studying with her for a little while after that. And then discovered that I really cared. I was doing my PhD in French literature and I was like, wow, I really deeply care about humans more than literature. You know, like (laughs) I want to be there for people. I want them to experience this freedom that I, that I'm discovering, like, you know, studying with this woman for a few years after that, like the relationship with my mother, which was quite toxic, like completely shifted. That was the hardest one because it was so blocked in my throat. Like I had never been able to ask for what I needed. It was too scary. There's mm-hmm. no way. And so then you're in relationship with a man or a woman and, and you can't, you don't even know what you want. You don't even know what you need. Yeah, you know, and so that relationship with the mother, and I do talk about this in my new book, The Burnout Antidote, quite a bit. This relationship with the mother, so the divine mother, mm-hmm. the mother inside of us, mm-hmm. and our mother, right? Mm-hmm. So if you address the relationship with the mother at either of these levels, all the other levels will shift. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's about it's about the energy of feminine. And being Capricorn and type A and academic, I didn't have time or space for feminine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate. I can relate. So so take us from, so we're we're still on the journey question. Take us from the Women in Leadership course to the current book, The Burnout Antidote. Why The Burnout Antidote from all the places that you've come from? Yes. So um, after after this course, I started uh, studying more and then I started teaching pretty much right away. Um, 2009 is when I started teaching workshops and seeing mm-hmm. one-on-one clients. I wrote my first book, Be, Feel, Think, Do. And, um, and so in 2015, I was doing a lot of one-on-one clients and I burned out. I was... I was on my path, you know, two feet mm-hmm. on my path. Like that's all I was doing. I was writing, I was teaching workshops and I was seeing clients and I'd been wanting that for a very long time. Right. I had manifested what I want. Be careful what we wish for. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And I really had a limiting belief lady that um, when you're on your path and you found it, you can't burn out because you have endless energy mm-hmm. and that's not true. because like you said there's always a new invitation and so what was going on there is I remember like I was I was just getting so tired I was starting to feel resentful a little bit and 
I was, I remember one day I was just typing this email on my computer and my husband comes over because I'm like huffing and puffing, like I'm like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, are you, okay? none of us have ever sent an email like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> we've all, we've all done that. <laughs> yes. You know, and at this point, like my book is published with Hay House, like I'm definitely known, especially in my environment as a spiritual teacher. Right. And yeah. I'm like, <clears throat> you know? oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> You're still husband, human, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, are you okay? And I was like, I think I need to refer this client to someone who still likes people. And <laughs> I was like, an interesting thing to say. Yeah. Embarrassed. Yeah. Almost embarrassed to say it. You know, like, just like, that is not very spiritual. That is not very good, you know? So he was like, I think you need a break. And you know, it was so, my intellect's so strong, you know, my ego is just like, you've been working so hard to get to this place. You can't stop. People love the work that you do. It gets Mm -hmm. results. You're helping people. So you can't stop. And also, you know, financially, you know, we were making decisions based on my salary as well. Right. So I was like, I can't stop. What are you talking about? But I knew, I knew after, te- you know, teaching for so many years, I just knew that I had to. That's what I would say to someone else, right? And so I, I, I took some time off. I actually took three months off. And I realized that my reason for wanting to serve was not quite sustainable. That the why I was of service, why I was helping people wasn't quite sustainable. So I asked myself the question, like, what is it? And I'm not going to have you answer that question <laughs> break. So I want to leave us on the, without the, on the cliffhanger. Sure. And when we're back, everyone, and we'll answer the question of what was her, why and how <laughs> she avoided her own burnout, which led her to this newest, her newest beautiful book, the burnout antidote. And we can also chat about the beautiful habit of empathy and how it plays into all of these things, um, over giving and being highly sensitive when we return. So hang on everyone. We'll be right back. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about her individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow! Contact 
info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging in there. We're here with Anne Barube talking about the habit of empathy and her amazing journey um, towards this beautiful book that she's now written, The Burnout Antidote. And we're chatting about her experience with potential burnout as a healer and a coach and a writer and an author and a you know, a wonderful person in the spiritual community um, that I'm so grateful to speak with today. So, Anne, take us, you were before the break telling us about you know, you finding your why as a, and just to say, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's in any type of service, but uh, also service of helping others, we can tend to overgive because we believe it's our duty and our calling and that we cannot burn out in that space. But I'm here to tell you, and Anne is here to tell you that you can. (laughs) So please continue with your story. I know everyone's anxious to hear the next part. Yes. (laughs) So what I realized is when, when you really ask yourself the question, like, why is it that I show up so freely for people and I, you know, I love it and I, I, I want to do it, but it's hard for me to say no. <clears throat> and what I realized is that um, when I asked myself the question, like, cause even people, like, even though I said, I'm going to stop for three months, some people would still email me and I would be so compelled to say, I'll make an exception. And I was like, yes, what is yes. that? Like, what is that? Like I'm saying, yeah. this is what I need for me. I get I self-love. I'm like, this is what I need. What is this compelling? What is compelling me? And so what I realized is that I needed to be needed. And that mm. when I was needed, I knew who I was. And I realized that since I was a little girl, I was needed by my mom. She always needed me emotionally. I was always there for her. And when I was there for her, she loved me. That's what I thought, right? When I was there for her and I was able to help her and my needs were aside, you know, um, she would give me the attention that I wanted. Yeah, it's like, it's like, just to interrupt you, it's like Pavlov's dog. I mean, you made this association for listeners between her love of you and you giving her what she needed and not giving yourself what you needed. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so we grew up as adults, you know, um, having porous boundaries, not really knowing um, when, where the line in the sand is like, Mm -hmm. where am I supposed to say no and where, and who am I supposed to say no to, you know, and that my needs matter and my desires matter and then my values matter. And so I asked myself, lady, okay, then if I have this need to be needed, and this is my why, who was I? Who was Anne before she was needed? Who was this little girl, this tiny little child, before the world started to need her and to take from her? And because of the embodied approach to healing and transformation that I use um, on myself and in my workshops and with clients, I checked in. 
what's the answer? And there was no answer. It was actually quite sad. It was a void. It felt like a heaviness right here on my chest. And I knew that was my next invitation. That was it. Who was, who's Anne when she's not needed? Because what if my husband doesn't need me anymore? My kids don't need me anymore. My clients, like there's no need for me. Who am I? Am I still, am I still me? And so I did that for three months and my meditation every morning and wake up, meditate, ask the question, who are you? Sweet, beautiful girl. Who are you before the world needed you? And every morning, it's just this sadness, and this like empty. But I, I know, I know better not to give up because when there, when it feels like a dark hole, it's always a tunnel, always, every mm-hmm. single time. I love and that. So, <laughs> Our suffering never, is a tunnel to the light. Yes, there's a wasp in my office. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I know. So that's if you notice me like getting distracted. Okay, it's like, it's okay. Here, it's good. It's all good. Yeah, there's a tiny crack on my window, and it just whoop, came right in. That's okay. She won't come. Um, and so I continued to ask it for 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 you know as long as it took. I knew I needed to stay with her because this it's almost like and I've done this exercise and it's in the book as well with many people, many clients, and often they meet the inner child, and the inner child's like, <clears throat> I'm not talking to you. No, right? Because I say with that, yes. It's been 30 years or 40 years. Like, why do you think I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you now? Right. So for me, it was this sadness. And and so it went on and on and on. And my husband is like, oh my gosh, are you okay? You know, like you know, people who don't know that you trust the process might wonder, is she depressed? Like, do I need to help her? Like, is you know, and I remember we went on a date like about three months in and um, he said, are you okay? Are you feeling better? And everything in me, like the mom, the wife just wants to say like, yeah, honey, don't worry about me. I'm better. But I knew that if I said that I'd betray her, right. It's that's not true. And we're so used to wanting to just make people comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want them to worry about us. We're the ones helping, like, don't right. worry about me. Yeah. But I said, no, I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you differently, but I'm, I'm still quite sad. And, um, and then the next morning, it's almost like that's what she needed. Like, she needed to know that I wasn't going to betray her. The next morning I wake up, I'm in my meditation. I breathe deeply. I ask, who are you? Who were you before you were needed? And now I wasn't sadness anymore. There was like fire and butterflies and there was like movement and energy. And it was so, it was so like, there was movement finally. Yeah, finally there's movement. A, your pit to energy. It came back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so what happened after that is that, you know, even though I couldn't put the word on who I was, I just knew it was a direct experience. And I knew how important it was that I didn't betray that. And, you know, in a talk in the book, like that was also anger. Like I had anger, fire is anger. And I didn't, I was never told that I could be angry because it's not ladylike. It's definitely not spiritual to be angry, but man, is it important to be angry? It is. Uh, is. We will burn out. We will burn out from the inside. If we will consume ourselves from the inside, if we don't express anger. So so what what was your conclusion? I'm dying to know here. (laughs) So what happened is now is like, I knew now that I had, I knew that I just need, I wanted to work with people 
different people. Like I wanted to work with people who were self-responsible, people who wanted to remember who they really were. I didn't want to do the talk therapy anymore. I didn't want to work with narcissists. I didn't want to work with people who were just there to get a little hit of my light and then go away and come back next week and get another hit, but take no responsibility. I just knew I wanted to work with people who work with people. I wanted to work with people who just fully are engaged in their own process and so that the conversation starts at a certain level, right? Mm. And so that meant I had to refer clients, some clients to other people. I changed the programs that I was teaching and, and I went back to it with so much power because now I would only serve if my cup was full, if my needs were met. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I am so powerful because I have a single point focus on my medicine and my gift. I'm not trying to be everything to everyone. Mm. And that's what I was doing because I thought if people are pleased and I'm doing my job, no, I'm suffering. Yeah. At the, at the expense of yourself. Right. So, you know, exactly. helping others. And so take us from that to writing this book. Yes. And so what I realized is that a lot of things needed to be redefined. So first of all, how we see fire and anger, especially in women, like women, um, we just weren't, you know, we weren't modeled that it's okay to use our fire. But right now with the rise in the divine feminine and the importance and the crucial importance of our voice, women's voices and the feminine, um, it's so important to put sound to our fire. And it's all of chapter seven, like the difference between embodied fire and disembodied fire, right? Mm -hmm. Just this idea that when you speak, connect to your core, you're like a volcano as opposed to a bomb, you know, like disembodied, just something, you know, we all have these moments where you go zero to 60, like I just bomb in the kitchen, everybody's hurt. And I'm like, ah, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say that. That's not what I wanted to say. Embodied fire is the volcano and it's like, and it's come from, it comes from my core. So it's intelligent. And then it comes out with discernment. And then when I speak, it's clear, you know, my husband will say, Oh, you're spicy today. I'm like, I'm not spicy. I'm clear. I'm fucking clear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stealing that. And I'm stealing that. That's, that's the highlight of the show today. (laughs) But, you know, they're just not used to us using our fire that way, right? Well, it's owning your power, right? It's owning it in a way that people can listen, right? Because I think, you know, the Dalai Lama has a wonderful quote that says something like, if you need to raise your voice, you need to change your argument. And it's like, you can say what we need to say more often clearer and allow the volcano to come out, but not erupt. You know, it doesn't need to be the largest eruption that ever came because people will run literally exactly. run away from exactly. us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then when you're speaking from that place of groundedness and you're embodied with your fire, you let the chips fall where they may. It's not your responsibility to make people comfortable with your truth. It's not. Um, and sometimes people will just disappear from your life. They'll be like, no, that's, you know, that's too much for me. And that's okay. People, mm-hmm. if they can't handle your truth, if they can't handle your fire, then it's your job is not to make it smaller. It's just to let them choose if they want to be around you or not. That's okay. But mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people waiting for that truth. There's a lot of people waiting for you to be clear yeah. and for your medicine. So 
I think people, you know, it's it's normal for people to come out, come in and out of our lives. It's absolutely, actually, essential because yeah. we're always changing. It's the only thing that's consistent yeah. and permanent about being human is change. <laughs> of course, and um, I just, you know, interviewed a, a friend of mine, Yogi Aaron, who's a yogi ma- uh, master and a teacher, and he was saying that he does this beautiful morning affirmation is affirmation series that is basically something like, and I'm paraphrasing, um, let the people that um, I can love and serve best find me and let the people that I can no longer love and serve best, may they leave me and find another place to be loved and served. And um, it was so beautiful because it was like, it's all with love, right? People have people come in and just because they, they no longer are ready for our path or are or, or on our path with us, that doesn't mean there's ill will or um, it's a negative, I have a negative commentation. You know, it's like, yeah. blessed be those that come and blessed be those that go, you know, we just yes. allow that um, permeation, which is, I think, quite beautiful. Exactly. Um, and understanding it's not a failure and it's not because we're not enough because we're not good enough. Like it's not that it's just owning our gifts. Totally. We'll see in the moment. In the moment. Well, I'm very excited to talk about highly sensitive people and empaths, which I am one, and sort of this habit of empathy. So I am going to make an assumption that you are highly sensitive. Oh, absolutely. About them. Yeah. And how did you discover that you were an empath? And what is it for listeners? What does that mean? Well, I think once, so, you know, to protect myself in childhood and in in my 20s, to protect this sensitive, innocent child inside of me, I had to become this personality. I had to become this like image of myself, not really myself. And then, you know, when, when I came home to my body, that sensitive sensitivity came back and now I felt raw. I felt like a newborn baby in the world. So I really had to, um, you know, that's when I knew that's who I was and I needed to honor that. And so there's a, definitely a lot of people who just couldn't be in my life anymore. And I couldn't go to, you know, social events like I used to. I mean, they were my favorite. And now I was like some social events. I was like, there's no way that would be, that would be so painful. And, you know, and then, you know, and I remember like going to a party and then, someone's drinking and I, you know, it's like, how are you? And it's like, yeah, I'm good. How are you? And I say, you know, I'll say like, what are you most afraid of? Like, I'll ask like the weirdest question at a party, right? And <laughs> I that's love like it. Real, You'd yeah. be my person at a party. For <laughs> exactly. <sure>. Exactly. <laughs> but there was not a lot of people who kind of wanted to talk about that stuff. So it took me a few years to kind of go like, it's fine. I just need to redefine spaces for myself and people I hang out with. Because to me, it was more important that I lived with no walls and that I was free. And I was lucky to have been in a relationship, you know, with my husband and my children where I felt free and, and, and safe to be that innocence at home. So that was really, really, really helpful. So home's a safe place, right? Yeah. And I, yeah. I say, to, I say to people like it has to, whatever yeah. you need to do uh, because home is your body. It's the metaphor for your body. So if you don't feel safe in your body, you won't feel safe at home. If you don't feel safe at home, you won't feel safe in your body. So I love this. If you don't feel safe in your body, you don't feel safe at home. And if you don't feel safe at home, yeah, you don't feel safe in your body. You know, I quit drinking, I think I'm almost 
five or six years ago now. I can't even remember. And, I did too. Oh yeah. Well, I, I could, I could, I could, 2012. Yeah. Mine is 2017, but you know, I lived my life for most of my life as a very highly sensitive person. And the way that I dealt with my sensitivity um, was drinking helped me just numb, even just one drink helped me numb and create sort of a, a buffer between myself and the emotions I was feeling from others and yes. the world at all times. Right. And so one of the things that I really came across was that when I quit drinking, I had to curate a life for myself that I did not want to escape from. Yes. I had to architect that life that mm-hmm. I felt I had psychological safety, physical safety, all of the things that made yeah. my home and my life safe. And definitely it's important for listeners. If you are engaging in habits that you don't like that, you know, it might be that it's just a question of when we to drop those habits, a big portion of that is to make sure that where we are, where we live, all of that is safe enough because we, the beauty of life is not wanting to escape from it. Right. I mean, yeah. having boundaries to know that we, you know, don't want to go to that party because that will emotionally exhaust us and be, have create yes. suffering and have boundaries yes. in that way, but not necessarily need to escape from our primary positions, wherever that would be. Exactly. And the ability to be yourself everywhere you go and not have to switch personalities or, you know, I'm this person here, I'm this person there, like that's yeah. really tiring and that is burning out. Right. So where, what, what is the life you, you curated for yourself? Like, can you actually show up just as you everywhere you go? Like yeah. talking to you on this podcast, you know, going yeah. and get my kids at school, going, you know, for lunch and with a friend, like, I'm the same. Yeah. And this integration, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's spiritual maturity. Right. And that's what I say to clients. Like if, you know, if we do parts work or whatever, which I assume that you're, you might be doing because you're having this conversation with me, but (laughs) making sure that that same uh, most adult, mature, calm part of you is always driving the bus. That it's okay for your other parts to live on the bus, right? They can hang on the bus, you know, your inner child and your reactive (laughs) parts and your critic and all those things, but that the, the, the calm centered part of you, that's your whole body, bringing it back to where we were talking earlier in the conversation actually has, you know, he has the driver's Mm -hmm. license or she has the driver's license, right? Yes. That they're showing up in a way that makes others feel safe. Yeah, too. exactly. Brings us, I know we haven't really talked about it, the habit of empathy. So tell yes. me. Yes. So in this book, <clears throat> I redefine empathy. Um, okay, I tell us, em- tell us. I, I see empathy as toxic and it's not really a popular thing to say right now, because if you look at the news, you're like, yeah, we need more empathy. Like what's going I, I, I don't Why watch the Anna, oh, good. <laughs> good. And my so, life is just fine. <laughs> so psychologists make the difference between uh, cognitive empathy and emotional empathy. And so I call it embodied empathy, disembodied empathy. And so disembodied empathy, which is emotional empathy, would be like, okay, so let's, you and I are in a conversation and you're showing a big emotion, you're struggling. I'm going to start to kind of come out of myself and I'm going to have this there's going to be a contagion of emotions between you and I, and I'm going to feel what you're feeling kind of going to be like in your feeling. I'm almost going to be like in you. And suddenly the blinders come in and really we're just focused on this issue that you have. I'm not in my power. I'm not in my body. I'm just, I mean, I'm with you in your feelings and that will drain you by the second. 
And it is so toxic for people who are very sensitive and people who are of service. This is what they do every day. They show up for other people. Cognitive empathy, which is embodied empathy, is completely different. So we're having a conversation. You're having a big emotion and you're struggling. But I'm here. I'm in my body. And I'm breathing deeply. I'm connected to my, my power. I'm connected to my solar plexus. I'm connected to my belly, to, connected to my belly. And I understand what you're going through. I totally understand it. I know you're suffering, but I'm not over there with you. And there's no contagion of emotion happening. I'm here in my power and I'm in reverence for my light. And when I'm in reverence for my light, I can stand in front of you and hold your light in reverence as well. Because when I'm in reverence for my light, I can see your light. I can know the more that you can be. And I'm actually holding you for the potential that you hold as opposed to the problem that you're presenting. Oh, wow. Completely I love this. It <laughs> even feels different when you say it. I mean, it's the way I define holding space for others, right? In a way that empowers you. Yeah. So you're holding yes. space for yourself, right? You have your own energy inside your own body, and then you're holding space for another person to be whoever they show up as, but you're not enmeshing with them, right? No, you're not. Exactly. And, um, and for us impasse, that's really important because if we don't master this sort of ability to hold space for others, which is a beautiful thing if done correctly, then we drain our light and we're no good to anybody, especially ourselves. Exactly. And then a lot of people are throwing in the towel. Like there's a lot of people quitting, like doctors, nurses, psychologists, like mm -hmm. police officers. They're just like, I can't do it anymore. Right. Yes. And, yes. And we need light workers to continue to do the work. And that's why I wrote the book, because I could see myself, the tendency of wanting to give up. Because I'm like, no, no, like, <laughs> I need to protect myself. And I see other people just going like, I can't do this. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. And so, but then the beauty about this is not just that you're protecting yourself. You're actually more powerful. Because if mm -hmm. I'm listening to you when you're talking and my attention is in myself and I'm breathing deeply, I don't hear what you're saying. I calibrate what you're saying. It's very different. Yes. So I'm not trapped in your story. I'm not like, you know, I'm not in my intellect trying to figure out the story about what you're saying, but I'm actually tapping into the truth under the words because I'm sensing the truth. Mm. And so, so then when I'm sensing the truth, I can speak to the truth. So what comes out of my mouth when I do speak and I, and often there's less to say, you know, when you're, in a embodied empathy and an embodied leadership and embodied service is less to say, but when you say something, it's discerned and it, it's like clear and it just shifts the energy in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I meet and, and coach a lot of CEOs and um, probably the number one skill I work on with them is listening. And I always say, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, but the most powerful person in the room is doing the most listening always, 
right? Yes. And they're just holding space. Yeah, yeah. And you can't yeah. have an, you can't be talking and have an open mind at the same time. It's actually physically impossible. <laughs> so. Exactly. And I want to kind of add to that, yeah. which is so true, is that if you're someone who's very empathic and you're doing most of the listening and you start to feel yourself drained, don't stay there, mm. right? Because... <sighs> Because often people will, you know, if, if, if someone has never talked until they're done and you feel your cup is full and you actually can be there and listen to them until they're done, that's wonderful because most people don't get heard until they're right, done. Yeah. Right? We want to jump in. We want to fix them. But if, you, if this is someone who's a narcissist or someone who has predator energy or someone, and I talk about this in the book, or someone who is their heart are shut down because it's, you know, they've been hurt too much and they just cannot sense or feel or have, have empathy for you. Your role is not to stay in that relationship, Mm -hmm. that conversation, that place. Yeah. I love that. So remove yourself, remove yourself. I love that. And you can feel it right away, right? Like you could start to talk to someone within a minute, you feel your energy like draining. That's just a clear signal just get away. It's okay. Yes. Just go. Yes. yes. And this is about not tolerating, right. For us yeah. overgivers and for all everyone. Not listening. endure. Not we don't enduring. have to endure. It's a beautiful no. life. We do not have to endure. <laughs> exactly. And on that note of the habit of empathy, we're reaching the end of our show. So please tell us how can people find more of you? They want to come to a workshop. They want to work with you. They want to read your book. Tell us. So my website is amberube.com. On there, you'll find so uh, many free resources. You'll see where I am next. My next um, two-day weekend workshop is in November. My Kauai trip uh, retreat is in December. So there's a lot available there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry. <laughs> Are you getting bitten by a wasp? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you, and um, my book uh, has... 21 meditations. So each chapter has a meditation, three meditations, and they're all recorded for free on my website. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, yeah. Show everyone your book, The Burnout Antidote. I love this. And Barube. And I just want to thank everyone for being here today. And we can continue the conversation on at habitsforhappiness.com. Please feel free to reach out to Anne, attend one of her workshops, buy her book, please, guys. And remember, everyone, the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. Please listen next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.